Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. I'm joined in the studio today with three people from the University of Arizona. I have Amalia C. Mora. She's the program coordinator for the UA Consortium on Gender-Based Violence. We have Jamie Utt, who works as a graduate assistant at the Women's Resource Center, primarily working with young men and boys in sexual assault and prevention work. And Bryant Valencia is a graduate assistant in early academic outreach and a doctoral candidate studying higher education. He coordinates a program called Masculinity Initiatives, which is in early academic outreach. All three are here. Amalia, Jamie, and Bryant are here to discuss the first annual conference on gender-based violence, which is hosted by the University of Arizona College of Social and Behavioral Sciences and the University of Arizona. Welcome. What prompted you all to do the first annual conference on gender-based violence? So uh, the first annual conference is really the the first um program or the first event hosted by the UA Consortium on Gender-Based Violence. And so it really marks our soft launch um, and felt like it was really um, a critical and timely moment to do so. Well, then let's hear first a little bit more about the UA Consortium on Gender-Based Violence. So the consortium, the idea behind it is really to create a bridge between different units, departments, um, and organizations both on and off campus that are working on issues of gender-based violence and doing amazing jobs at their work. So it's not so much that we're creating something new as more in the sense that we're working to bridge efforts to make them even stronger together and to become a resource center that focuses on this epidemic, which is gender-based violence. How do you know it's an epidemic? Well, that's a good question. Um, Firstly, of course, You know, there's wonderful articles on and research being done on uh, pointing to the fact that it is an epidemic. Um, But um, also, if you just look at what's going on in popular culture right now, the the popular conversation, uh, we're realizing or we're acknowledging more and more how much not just gender-based violence, but the misogynistic attitudes that really form the foundation of misogyny are so pervasive. So I think that um, both scholars, but also, you know, your everyday folks can see how much this really is widespread. I think the other thing to consider is that um, for a really long time, those of us who identify as men have been shielded from really having to think about the issues of gender-based violence. And so I think there are a lot of men who don't understand the degree to which it is such an epidemic. Um, But I think most people who identify as women um, or folks who are identify as non-binary have long understood just how much of a problem it is. And so I think um, the question of whether or not it is an uh, an epidemic is something that men are more and more realizing now, but that I think it's very important that if we if we as men, those of us who identify as men, take time to listen, then it becomes pretty evident just how much of an epidemic the problem of gender-based violence really is. 
And, and also just to, to speak to that point about the epidemic, um, it's it's also recognizing um, kind of our socialization and how we're socialized, kind of just you know piggyback, piggybacking off of um, what my colleagues here have said, um, understanding how we're socialized in our communities um, and really bringing that out in the forefront in conversation and understanding that um, that what we see, what we consume, you know, in everyday life, when what we tend to produce as a as a part of that consumption of 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 our, how we're socialized and, and in this case gender um, gets manifested in different ways and so um, as a man as a male identified person um, I don't always know how I contribute to that culture of gender-based violence and so um, like Jamie was saying um, for, for us as men we really need to, to open our ears and listen um, to understand really, really how much of an epidemic it is um, especially how we contribute to that. Uh, yeah those are really great points that my colleagues just made. And one thing that reminded me of is the fact that gender-based violence is not just acts of harm or acts of violence, but actually this kind of cultural aversion to and even sometimes hatred of women and the feminine or femme, people who are more effeminate. You know, I think as a culture, we tend to associate a lot of traits that are traditionally associated with femininity with weakness. For instance, um, being more in tune with one's emotions or um, taking other people's emotions into consideration when making decisions versus this kind of aggressive, competitive approach, which tends to be more associated with strength. That kind of attitude, I think, gives rise to acts of harm and acts of violence. But it also is just sort of situated in this cultural attitude that causes things like street harassment or ideas that uh, women are not as smart or not as funny or, you know, not as witty as men or this culture that invites us to judge women on their appearance. I think all of these things are examples of attempts to prove that women or more feminine individuals are inferior you know, and that's ultimately why misogyny, it's actually ironically is a very kind of or it involves a lot of processes of weak psychology, because if people really did feel confident, they wouldn't have to put women down. So, again, I think that like my colleagues were suggesting, you know, this isn't just acts of harm, but it's it's a kind of cultural attitude that really is so pervasive and that affects women and people who don't conform to normative standards of masculinity every day. And I appreciate the the point that you're making, Amalia, because I think it, it's important to recognize that in addition to it being about gender, that the ways in which gender-based violence plays out also has to do with other aspects of identity, right? That because of the ways that misogyny is wrapped up in power, we see the ways that people who identify as LGBTQ are disproportionately targeted by men's violence and by dominance in our society. And we see the ways that masculinity is really wrapped up often in notions of white supremacy, right? And so I think it's really important that when we understand how gender-based violence is not just about singular acts of physical aggression, then we can start to understand how it's a part of larger systems that hurt so many different people of so many different identities in our communities. 
And I appreciate that point, Jamie, especially um, about kind of including that intersectional lens to the work as well, because um, it's definitely some of the work that I do is just um, also including that that intersectional lens and looking at how it affects um, men of color, for example, you know, experiencing um, racism in society, but at the same time having that inherent privilege of being a male and understanding how they, you know, how we harm and also um, silence our women of color voices, you know, in the larger um, you know, you even see that in, in academia, you know, two of us are PhD students and one of us has our PhD, <laughs> but we see it in our scholarly work in that, you know, women of color have been talking about misogyny um, in the women of color communities, but it doesn't get centered in the work. It happens at all at, at various levels is what I guess what I'm trying to say is that even in the academic world, this culture of patriarchy and misogyny exists at various levels. And, and so for us to address it at various levels is important and also to understand that we have to have an, an intersectional lens and include voices that are not typically present and at the table, if that makes sense. One key element of the conference is that we've really tried to make it uh, incredibly intersectional, every panel. So it's not just, oh, here's the intersectional panel. No, every single panel is intersectional and recognizes and wants to address the interlocking oppressions um, that makes people particularly vulnerable to gender-based violence, but also that leaves them out of the conversation, as uh, Jamie and Bryant were just saying. So we've got a panel on um, cycles of violence and harm, which um, will, of course, address the ways in which white supremacy have influenced normative standards of masculinity in different communities. And the kind of attempt to live up to that ideal. And then when it fails because of, let's say, economic hardships is then taken out on women or, uh, again, people who don't conform to certain um, standards of masculinity. We also have a panel on the politics of, of disclosure. So who has access to disclosing violence and why? Who feels more comfortable disclosing violence? When somebody chooses to disclose violence, what are the repercussions, both within their communities, also within the health professionals they might go to, or to law enforcement? You know, if you're a sex worker and your body is inherently being criminalized, by law enforcement, you're going to be far less likely to report or to disclose. And I also think we tend to always valorize this idea of voice and voicing what you've been through. But sometimes some people find it far more empowering to not speak out or at least not speak out in certain ways. And that's kind of come up within the hashtag Me Too conversation, right, that some people don't want to disclose. And Actually, Jamie, I heard a conversation you were having recently on how, again, it's women's work, right, to disclose versus men kind of realizing their complicity. So that's another interesting topic we'll be discussing. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. We just heard from Amalia C. Mora. She's the program coordinator for the UA Consortium on Gender-Based Violence. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Jamie Utt, who works as a graduate assistant in the Women's Resource Center. And we're also joined with Bryant Valencia, graduate assistant in early academic outreach and doctoral candidate studying higher education. Jamie. 
when Amalia was talking about the the Me Too campaign and the way that it centered women's voices, I couldn't help but think about how I saw a lot of men in my social media communities as well as in my community here in Tucson having this inclination to want to center ourselves in the conversation. And I think for some of us, that stems from our own place as survivors of men's violence, because it's not only women who experience men's violence. But I do think it's important to note that super disproportionately, women and non-binary folks and people who are queer and who um, fall on effeminate ends of of, um, gender and sexuality spectrums are the ones who are experiencing that violence. And I think um, it's important to to recognize when when I, as a man, have a desire to insert myself into the conversation, is it to do so in a way that turns the lens on men's violence? Because the vast majority of that violence is committed by men? Or is it as a way to distract and take away from the voices of those who are most often marginalized or hurt by that violence? And so I really had to check some of my own reactions when I was thinking about how to participate in the conversation around Me Too, because I am a survivor of men's violence, but I also didn't feel like in that moment it was my moment to say Me Too, because I wanted to hold space for those who are way more often and more likely to be um, victimized. And so instead, what I saw as my role is to say to the men in my community, we are seeing so many people say Me Too um, of a lot of different identities, but the vast majority of them who are saying it are women. And so the question that we have to be willing to ask ourselves is rather than, oh my gosh, I'm so shocked, is instead, what are the ways that I throughout my life have done things and said things and acted in ways that contribute to this harm or that contribute to this violence, either in really overt ways, like maybe the ways that I have committed violence, or in subtle ways, like the ways that I have silenced other people who don't share my identity or made it hard for them to feel like they could come forward and and seek support. And so I think it's important to recognize that, yes, people of all different gender identities experience gender-based violence, but it's important to recognize that the common denominator is that the vast majority of that violence is committed by men. And thus men need to be reflective about what roles we have played in that violence continuing in our communities. Thank you, Jamie, for sharing that, because I think, you know, as a, you know, as as a man hearing that, I think it's, you know, oftentimes um, when I'm doing this work, you know, men, men are men are thrown off by the fact that, you know, that that I approach this work and, and others that are also doing this work approach it in a way that's kind of coming from the heart and from love, um, because it really is about healing from that 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 masculinity that we're so used to kind of having to fit into it. You know, you can envision it as a box really um, that we have to fit into. And when we try to step out of it, you know, there, there are very physical and um, psychological ways that we get pushed back in. And, and I also wanted to, to touch on a point about the, the Me Too um, campaign and, and just, you know, call attention to how we frame gender-based violence. You know, it's, it's you know, the common, the common language around it is, you know, uh, the statistics are, you know, one in you know, five women will be, assault, right, will be assaulted. But, but the rest of that sentence that's missing is by who? Right. Who's committing that 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 violence. Right. And, and, and so we even, you know, even thinking about some of the work that we do and that I that I engage in and, and kind of just picking back off of what Jamie's saying is, am I recreating the problem with my own masculinity and my own blind spots? And so it's really important that, you know, I come to 
events like this where women's voices are centered so I can understand where my blind spots are in this work and that I'm doing it effectively with the men I'm working with and I'm not recreating the problem that exists, if that makes sense. All three of you have been doing this work for some time and the allegations about Harvey Weinstein and then the subsequent went Me Too campaign has just been out really for a couple of weeks. So how does that impact your work? And But clearly you were doing this work before this public outcry. In a conversation that I was having with some fraternity men at the University of Arizona through some of our sexual assault prevention efforts just a couple of days ago, one of the things that we were talking about is that for those of us who are not really actively making ourselves, like reflecting in a way that we then open ourselves up to people trusting us to share their stories when they've been hurt by men's violence, then the only times that we hear about sexual violence are either when like a celebrity is accused or when there's some sort of viral situation like the Me Too campaign or when there's false accusations, despite the fact that statistically speaking, false accusations almost never happen. But if we are, um, if those are the only times that we're hearing about it, um, then we're going to have a pretty strong misunderstanding of the nature of the problem. A, we're not going to think it happens very often. And B, we're going to presume that false accusations are happening all of the time. I appreciate the ways that so many survivors have come forward in this current moment to share. And I think for those of us who are shocked when we see that, it's important to realize that this is happening all the time. It's just a matter of we only might be noticing it right now because a celebrity is a perpetrator or because there happens to be a viral campaign where some people in our community came forward. But people are coming forward all the time. It's just a question of whether or not we're hearing them. It's also about having a conversation about how we're complicit in how that culture gets manifested and how we are participants. And it's really, I think, for some men who kind of view themselves as uh, the good guy, quote unquote, you know, like I don't engage in that that type of behavior. I don't engage in those conversations. Um, so I'm one of the good ones. You know, it's really trying to break that down and saying like, no, there, there really isn't this good guy, bad guy dichotomy. But we participate in different ways. We allow that to happen by what we consume you know, in our everyday lives, whether that's, you know, through social media, you know, movies, whatever, right? You know, that's how we participate. But also our silence, our silence in, in this conversation, you know, saying, you know, well, I don't want to get involved in it. You know, as a man, you're, 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 you're a part of it. You're a part of how that, that, that gets this culture gets manifested in our society. And so um, I think it's important to also, you know, not as a man, not to point the finger and say, you know, well, I'm not like that guy over there, but to really look at yourself and see how you participate and how the culture gets manifested in our society. And I think that that's some that's a conversation that a lot of men are unwilling to have. Yeah. And I think um, this Harvey Weinstein event, we, one could call it, and the Me Too campaign obviously came right as we're planning this conference, right? And we thought, okay, how can we make it part of the conversation? Um, and we're going to try to do that. At the same time, one reaction I had was, this is this is a, you know, very wealthy man with a lot of power. But these things happen in all industries and at different levels. And if these women who are rich and powerful don't even feel the ability to come out and say something, 
how is it that women who don't have as much power and who don't have as much money and who are suffering because of racism and classism and uh, homophobia, you name it, I mean, that just speaks to the level of the problem. You know, because we really want to address interlocking oppressions at the conference and privilege, it also kind of speaks to how miserable it is when you have privilege, actually. It doesn't bring happiness, you know, and that here you have this this man who, by all accounts, is enacting this kind of hyper-masculinity, and he has all this money and all this wealth, yet, you know, he ultimately is somebody who's a very weak human being. So I think it also highlights the fact that even when you live up to this standard as a man, um, this kind of ideal standard, it's not necessarily going to bring you any joy or happiness. And so that's, you know, another thing that we'd like to address in the in the conference. Tell us more about the goals of the conference. A couple of things that we really want to do are um, give people a sense of empowerment and a sense of being able to do something about these issues. And so we really want to um, help ourselves and others gain insight into, first of all, people who are most vulnerable, right, to gender-based violence. And of course, once we recognize who those people are, okay, how to help, right? So also, we want to talk about, okay, how do you build and participate in survivor-driven activism. That's going to be um, a key aspect. And actually, it will be a panel discussion as well. And we're also going to have a talk given by Dr. Elise Lopez um, in the Relationship Violence Program at the UA on practical tools for advocacy. And I think a lot of people, when they want to get involved, um, they feel very overwhelmed, especially in this current political climate, and they don't really know how to, and with the whole alternative facts phenomenon, feel like what statistics or reporting can I trust? And so she's going to be really breaking down, okay, how do we read and read into media? And how do we become literate in this stuff? And then what to do about it? And we're going to have um, organizations from all around Tucson emerge, um, American Friends Service Committee, YWCA, um, Southern Arizona Gender Alliance Swap, amongst many others who are already doing this incredible work. And again, our goal at the UA Consortium will be to just be a bridge between all of these efforts on campus and off campus. Actually, Bryant and Jamie, for example, are already doing incredible work on campus that they can speak to. One of the things that um, I'm engaged in currently, or I've I've been um, asked to do is to give a talk about the work that I do and also to give some implementable tools about how, you know, folks can incorporate this work either personally or within kind of the programs they coordinate themselves um, on campus. Um, but it, but it's also open to the community, um, students. It's, you know, it's open to, to anyone who, who might want to join. And so it's, um, it'll be uh, next Friday, October 27th at 12 p.m. in the Gender Women's Studies Building, Room 100. And so I'll be talking a little bit about my work. Um, the title of the talk is Masculinity, Power, and Education. And we'll discuss basically like i said the the mechanisms basically the problem we'll be talking about kind of the um how the problem is addressed and then um folks will be leaving with some implementable tools of how they can kind of address it in their own their own, in, in their own space 
One of the things that I think is amazing about Tucson is that I have lived all over the country. In so many of the places where I lived, if there was someone who wanted to get involved in addressing issues of gender-based violence, I feel like I, I often struggled figuring out other than perhaps volunteering with a local survivor's advocacy organization. I struggled figuring out where to point people in terms of ways that they could tap in and get involved. And in Tucson, there are so many amazing organizations and there is so much amazing work taking place. If you are unsure, if you're listening to this and you're, you care about this problem, but you're unsure of how to get involved, there's so many different things that you can do. So first of all, I would encourage you to come to the conference in a couple of weeks because you can really engage with so many of the, the people from all over the community who are doing this work and network and learn, oh, this organization has this angle. Um, you know, I think of, for instance, SAFE, um, Southern Arizona AIDS Foundation, does amazing work in violence prevention, and they do it in a way that's really responsive to the needs of LGBTQ plus folks in our community. And uh, Emerge has multiple different types of work that it is doing, both from the men's program, which is a um, 20, 26-week program that men can be a part of that essentially challenges men to work on themselves in hopes of changing our communities, to advocacy work, to, right, there's so many different ways that people can get involved. Um, if, if you're an undergrad who's listening to this, we have a peer education program that every semester we have peer educators who are trained really deeply and carefully in sexual violence prevention and then who are leading the effort on our campus to prevent sexual assault at the University of Arizona. But also, if there's somebody listening right now who is a man who is unsure of how to get involved, there's an amazing grassroots organization in Tucson called the Brev Love Collective that both Brian and myself are a part of that um, the last Tuesday of every month holds a program called Challenging Male Supremacy. And so the next one that's coming up is Tuesday, October 24th, and it's from 6 to 8 p.m. in the Southern Arizona Workspace, which is behind Exo Roast Coffee. And um, every, every month there's a theme in terms of the work that men can take up to address our own um, issues around toxic masculinity and our complicity in violence. And so that's, again, just another access point. So in addition to encouraging people to get involved with the conference as as a hub, kind of in the way that the consortium is, is trying to build bridges, um, there's also so many other access points in our community. So if this is something that has impacted you or that you care really deeply about, but you aren't currently sure how to get involved, um, there, there's lots of different access points in our community. How can people find out more information about the first annual conference on gender-based violence? The first annual conference on gender-based violence will be on November 3rd from 6.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. and on November 4th from 9.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Both events will take place at the Student Union at the University of Arizona and we're really looking forward to seeing everyone there. I would encourage you to go to our Eventbrite, which has uh, all the information about the panels, the speakers, and specific topics we'll be addressing. And that is gbvconference underscore ua.eventbrite.com. I also wanted to mention that for all the local artists out there, we are collaborating with Hey Baby Art Against Sexual Violence. And if you would like to submit uh, any artwork 
on sexual violence or gender-based violence, uh, you can contact heybaby.art at gmail.com. And these works will be on uh, display in an exhibit. And also a winning piece will be chosen and the artist uh, will win $100. So that's really exciting. And we're really grateful to Hey Baby for collaborating with us on this. And stay tuned for the um, website of our actual consortium, which will be up in about a month. We'll have to leave it there. I'd like to thank my guests today. We heard from Amalia C. Mora, Program Coordinator at the UA Consortium on Gender-Based Violence. We heard from Jamie Utt, who works as a graduate assistant at the Women's Resource Center, and Bryant Valencia, graduate assistant in early academic outreach. They're all participants in the first annual conference on gender-based violence, which is coming up on November 3rd and 4th, hosted by the University of Arizona College of Social and Behavioral Sciences and the University of Arizona. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. This program and most recent episodes of 30 Minutes can be found on the kxci.org webpage.